And welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. My name is Cody Fields. I live in the great state of South Carolina and am the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects, which includes Westminster Effects, Nose Pedal, and Native Pedal Company. All right, this is John Ross, the Grumpy Lutheran guitar player, and many other things from Lincoln, Nebraska. Good to see you guys. And this is Bradley Cox. I'm the lead pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. So, as always, uh, we want to thank all the listeners and encourage you to subscribe on iTunes and leave a five-star review. I don't care if it's honest, just make it five stars. That'll help us out, help uh, help us be discovered a little more easier. So, God's grace fellas, covers a multitude figured, of sins. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> so I figured this week we're doubling up and all that kind of stuff. Schedules are crazy. Uh, this will release the Monday after Nam, So I will just be in a stupor, I'm sure from being so busy. Um, so I figured let's talk about the, the short term trips that we've been on this summer. Bradley and I went on, uh, actual short term missions trips and John, what was yours? A synod? It was the, uh, the Nebraska district. What is it you denominationalist idiots yeah. call it? <laughs> it was the district convention of the uh, Nebraska district of the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. Uh, yeah. Very we'll talk cool. about that later. Um, so guys, I was thinking about the whole short terms trips thing and it brought me to Galatians six. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, Bradley, you were in Jamaica just a couple weeks ago. Give us a couple highlights and maybe how that's affected you in in conducting a worship service um, and maybe some things you took away from it. Yeah, um, we've, we've been going to Jamaica for, um, I think this is the eighth year in a row that I've gone. Uh, may have missed one year in there. Um, it would take too long to talk about all the things that we've done there and how our the different partnerships that we've had, um, different things that we've done. But the trip has evolved for me in the last two years um, to a focus on two things. Number one is a church in right in the middle of Ocho Rios, Jamaica, uh, that I've just developed an incredible friendship with pastor there and uh, the people there, the church. The, the church has a very similar DNA to um, my church, Resurrection Church. Um, and so the last two years, uh, the bulk of what I've done has been to go and just in the pastors invited me to invest in his people, in his leaders, and in his church in a couple of different ways. One in particular is uh, with his married couples. Their marriages, you know, there are struggles with marriages in the Christian church in America, for sure. In Jamaica, uh, there's in the church there tends to be a heavy dose of legalism. Um, and in Jamaica, similar to America, you have a very over-sexualized culture, and so you'll find a lot of couples that are forced to get married uh, by the church because they've maybe just engaged in premarital sex or somebody's gotten pregnant, and I've preached in at least half a dozen churches in, Amer in Jamaica and different churches, and it's not uncommon to see husband and wives sitting on the opposite side of the sanctuary because they just don't like each other. Uh, it, it, it's one of the things that stood out to me over the years is just how, um, how broken and um, just jacked up 
marriages are in the church in Jamaica. And so the last two or three years, the pastor's invited me to speak to his couples, and we've given him some resources um, to help him train his people throughout the year. And this year, it was so sweet to see couples that we've been working with the last two to three years and how much they have grown in the gospel, how much they've grown in their love for God and each other, uh, how much healthier their views of marriage have have become, uh, you know, understanding the roles of husband and wife and even how to think of marriage as not something where I'm, I'm, I'm looking to get something out of this based on my spouse's relational performance, but I'm in this marriage for the glory of God. Um, and that alone is what shapes the way that I endeavor to love my spouse and care for my spouse, forgive my spouse. So that was one of the sweet things was just to see um, amazing progress there. Uh, and we also, you know, we did a lot of training with volunteers and leaders at the church that was really sweet. And the focus of my time there was really just on walking people through the scripture. You know, we go back to our one of our first episodes on Sola Scriptura, um, whether it was the marriage intensive, the um, workshop I did with their worship team, um, preaching on Sunday, and or meeting with leaders and volunteers in the church, what I did was just walk them through text um, relevant to, you know, where they are as a church, as a people. And it was just so encouraging to see the light bulbs go off just as you you hold the bible out in front of people and the holy spirit does the work and it's just super sweet um, the other part of our work there is we go to a place called the infirmary it's a state-run convalescent home uh, where in jamaica if you have a lot of money you're good uh and also in jamaica if you're extremely poor the government does make a lot of efforts to uh, provide for the poor, but as is the case um, a lot of times, the, the conditions at this state-run convalescent home are just horrible. Um, you've got people that are, um, you know, crippled, cerebral palsy, they've had strokes, mentally handicapped, uh, you name it, you've got all kinds of situations there, and our goal there has just been to go in and love on these people and uh, care for them. We're not going in trying to bring a whole lot of humanitarian aid in there. We have done some of that, but really the goal is just to, to go in and see these people for who they are and love them, share the gospel with them, pray with them. Many of them are believers, um, and one in particular, a guy named Donovan, um, has cerebral palsy. Uh, he's in a wheelchair. Uh, he's incredibly hard to understand when he talks. Um, and, but he has one of the most beautiful spirits I've ever encountered, loves Jesus. Um, and at one point during our visit there, uh, one of the people we were with was um, a good friend of mine. Her name's Mandy. Uh, who was with us, and she was sitting on his dirty bed uh, in this very dirty infirmary um, re uh, with the Bible open, reading it to Donovan. And so I walked over to see what was going on, and she was reading him 
the from the book of Job. And I kind of looked at her like, really? That's what you're doing right now? And she said it was his request. And so then I turned and looked at Donovan, who's in a wheelchair, his arms drawn up, all twisted. He, he, he can't walk. His clothes would not make it on the shelf at Goodwill. Um, but he looked at me with this enormous grin, and he just said, he restores all things. Um, and I, w- I don't know. I was a wreck after that. Um, you were a wreck in church after that, too. I was a wreck in church. <laughs> I told the story on Sunday, and just he wasn't asking me for anything. He, was, he, was, he wasn't looking at a white American who um, obviously has a much better quality of life from a creature comfort standpoint than he does. And asking me to fix him, he was just exuding the the joy that can only be found in God, and I don't think I'm reading between the lines too much to say that what was in his soul was if God never ends my suffering in this life, I know He's good, and I know one day He will restore all things, and that. There's no way to adequately articulate how much that impacted me. Um, and uh, so whatever contribution I made to the kingdom of God in Jamaica, um, Donovan impacted my life in an even greater way. Um, so it was a great trip. Very cool. So you won't hear from Bradley anymore in this episode. He had to step out and do pastoral stuff. He had an appointment that we actually made him a little bit late for. So sorry about that. Um, but anyway, go ahead, John. Tell us about your convention. All right. So very much uh, less missional uh, in many ways than, uh, than Bradley's most recent travels. Uh, but this past weekend, uh, I was a delegate uh, for the district convention, the district, <clears throat> I should just stop while I'm ahead. The district convention. John, talk good. <laughs> talk good. The district convention for the Nebraska District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. So us formalized folks with denominations and such uh, have a tiered system-ish of uh, organization that that in some ways provides a a fancy concept called ecclesiastical supervision, uh, which allows for multiple levels of accountability for our pastors and church workers, but also provides uh, centralized resources for things uh, such as uh, missions work and relief work and and enabling uh, the church workers uh, who come in to uh, the Senate uh, or uh, through one of our synodical uh, colleges to be uh, to be enabled and equipped for for service in the kingdom, uh, the district convention is a uh, a triennial thing. So every three years, uh, with the synodical convention, which is the big national, well, international thing, uh, right in the middle of those three years, uh, and a, and a good deal of it is is like your average committee meeting. Uh, you are governed by Robert's rules of order. You have overtures and and resolutions and and proposed motions and and such things that and mike pence no he wasn't there we uh (laughs) we tend to bring in our own uh our own lesser known celebrities uh 
there, so there, there's a, a good deal of, of business work to be done, uh, voting on anything from uh, supporting uh, certain endeavors. Uh, the district operates a, uh, a chapel on the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and uh, discussing on how we can make that better and to serve our college students better in that way. Uh, different changes to the district office and things like that. So very, uh, very businessy things like you would have on, on any other board. Uh, but at the same time, it's a fantastic opportunity to network with other uh, other church workers, both uh, pastoral, uh, lay, and uh, and what we call commissioned, which would be uh, teachers or uh, you know, Christian educators or, or things like that. Uh, the networking piece of it is is awesome, and what I probably enjoyed the most uh, the entire uh, uh, the entire convention, both uh, in in the business portion, the worship portion and, and the rest uh, is, uh, is undergirded by scripture, which is, which is awesome. Uh, it is refreshing to see that even in the mundane day to day that we continue to look for, look to Christ. Uh, some of the most impactful things were our keynote speaker, uh, or was our keynote speaker and his presentation. He came from an organization uh, known as Ambassadors for Reconciliation and shared with us what it is to be reconciled not only to Christ but to one another in light of Christ, seeing the identity of others as beloved children of God and treating them as such. Uh, and in, in many ways, that's an extension of the golden rule, a uh, uh, do unto others, right? Love others as you would have them love you. <laughs> uh, funny how that works. Yeah, <laughs> real funny how that works. Um, and the way the information was presented was profound. Uh, I don't have the material in front of me to recall the specific examples. Uh, I have a tendency to draw blanks when I make things up on the fly or, or, <laughs> or try to pull back from my memory because it's full of holes nowadays. But being able to receive that message with my brothers and sisters in Christ is... Uh, is very beneficial. At the same time, uh, there this was my first trip to a district convention. There were many things that were uh, uh, unexpected. Uh, one was a portion of our Saturday morning chapel service where we commended those servants in the district uh, who have gone home to Christ. And mm. in doing so, we sang a cappella in a room full of 400 people uh, one of the most amazing hymns uh, that seemed to take on new meaning in the context and the way it was sung, and that is For All the Saints. Uh, the, the first stanza of which reads, For all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confessed, thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Alleluia. Thou was their rock, their fortress, and their might. Thou, Lord, their captain in the well-fought fight. Thou in the darkness drear their one true light. Alleluia. And confessing that we have hope in Christ with nothing other than the voices of those around you was so powerful. And it wasn't the first time I obviously have been in an a cappella-style uh, service, mm -hmm. but it was profound. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. That's awesome. Uh, 
it also gave me an excellent opportunity to share uh, and to spend some one-on-one time with one of my best friends and my pastor, uh, Pastor Aaron Hutton. Uh, we traveled out there by car and had uh, some great discussion that that wasn't distracted by by phones or other appointments or, or meetings. It was him and I one-on-one uh, without, uh, well, without the distractions uh, that normally surround us. And that was, that was refreshing. Uh, when I was younger, I had a very... Uh, very unique view of the pastoral office in that I viewed them as uh, not only uh, above me in many ways, but I also had a uh, a fanboy sort of uh, sort of approach to them, as if since they were pastor, they almost had rock star status in my book, and I never for the longest time thought that I could be a friend with a pastor, that they could yeah. be my caregiver, they could be my my shepherd. Um, my father confessor, but they, they but they couldn't be my friend because that wasn't what they were there to do. But in college, uh, that that all changed, um, and not only that, uh, but seeing my fellow pastor, or seeing my pastor, and the pastors uh, in my past as a fellow brother in Christ uh, has been super healthy relationally and emotionally. And when I have brought a private confession to them, asking them to announce the forgiveness of Christ to me, there is an amount of sincerity there. Now, not, not effectiveness. Forgiveness is always effective. Right. But there was an amount of sincerity there, knowing that not only is he there as my pastor, but he's there as my friend and my brother, uh, that changed my perspective on forgiveness. And uh, and in turn reconciliation, which uh, which kind of brings us full circle. So, Cody, what do you have? So it's it's interesting you bring up the whole uh, brotherhood thing. I've got similar tale from a different angle. Um, So I went with my and Bradley's church, uh, Resurrection Church, to Los Angeles. Uh, to help out with an organization called the Dream Center. Now, as a caveat, um, I mean, everybody knows this podcast kind of has a reformedish slant. Um, I make no apologies for being reformed, um, but at the same time, the Dream Center is run by a Pentecostal church. Um, so some of you are going to flip out at that. Uh, you might want to check yourself a little bit. <laughs> Charitably, of course. Um, Check your heart. You know, we here, we here at the Doxology podcast do affirm that Pentecostals love Jesus, the real Jesus. Now, of course, there, of course, there are all manner of pitfalls uh, within that theological system, and I have some serious disagreements with them. But they have the core of the gospel. They just get some stuff wrong. Uh, so, so that said, they're doing some incredible work in Los Angeles among the poor and among the homeless. And among the addicted, they've got all kind of discipleship programs. Uh, they have uh, what they call Adopt-A-Block, where literally they show up and they pick up trash in the projects, and they talk to people, and they play with kids in the neighborhood. Uh, they have um, food truck delivery, where it's like, hey, we brought you groceries that got donated. They, they literally process 1.3 million pounds of food every month at, at the Dream Center, where we had part wow. of our team... Putting, 
putting food on pallets and they're like, oh yeah, this will last you this week, right? And they're like, no, that's for tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so that was was a lot of fun. And we also do, well, I guess to back up a little bit, uh, to put it in perspective, in Greenville, South Carolina, within the city limits of Greenville, we have uh, 60,000 people approximately. Uh, and then in the surrounding area, you know, in the entire upstate, it's much larger. But in Los Angeles, the homeless population is currently 53,000. So the homeless population wow, is man. enormous. It's absolutely enormous. And there's all kind of reasons for that, whether it's, you know, somebody just lost their job and they just, they just couldn't pay rent. There's mental health issues. There's drug abuse issues, whatever. Uh, so we actually went to Skid Row twice. Uh, once on a Thursday afternoon, uh, the other time on a Friday night, which is much more intimidating. And it, the smell is unlike anything you've ever mm-hmm. smelled in your life. It's, it's atrocious. Uh, the conditions there are absolutely awful. And we're out there handing out food, praying with people, telling people about Jesus, uh, giving them flyers for the Dream Center. Like, hey, you can come basically do a, a rehab program but not at the same time it's it's a little complicated but i had a, a kind of a realization while we were on skid row the first day when we we circled up and prayed at one of the parks on skid row there's homeless people everywhere and we're like all right well let's play, pray for these people and and we'll go so we all circle up and and whatever and typically i'm pretty diligent about keeping my eyes closed like a good christian during prayer you know it's only the heathens that keep their eyes open <laughs> uh, but i was wearing sunglasses and i figured hey i'll just observe what what the people on skid row do uh how they react and of course there's a couple looks of what are those people doing like that's just weird <laughs> but then i see this other guy who sees that we're praying and he's like, those are my people and I need to get with them. And he breaks into the prayer circle, oh, that's awesome. grabs a couple people's hands and he's like, I'm going to pray oh, with that you. Is Just awesome. like in the middle of it. And uh, so it's like, Oh, so that's my brother. So like you with your pastor, it's like, yeah, that's your brother. That's your friend. It's like this guy. Um, he like, we're going to be hanging out with Jesus with this guy. Eventually. That's kind of a cool thought. And uh, if if Bradley was still here at the moment, I would tell him uh, he would get a kick out of this, rather, is they had a kind of a debrief time after that. And they were like, all right, if you've got something cool to share, stand up and share it. And I shared that. And people interrupted me with applause. And I was like, I get it. <laughs> I get why you want to be a mend when you preach. <laughs> so um, the other the other cool thing that happened um, anybody that knows me relatively well knows that my knees and ankles are basically made out of glass. <laughs> Years of playing baseball, of being a catcher, has just ravaged my knees and bad knees running my family anyway. And I've torn up my left ankle a couple of times. Once when I was a senior in high school, uh, I was in a local hardcore mosh pit, got pushed, <laughs> and heard the pop over the music. Oh. And and me being a guy very stubborn and having a pretty good pain tolerance i walked on it for eight months before i got it checked out oh jeez! it had to it literally it it gave out in my room when i was i was cleaning my room and it just gave out and i was like i should probably get this that's probably what they mean was, when they say was, something is is metal that's probably exactly what they mean yeah that was it was oh, pretty metal, so metal bro uh, <laughs> and it gets more metal i was within a couple of millimeters of tearing to uh, require surgery 
Uh, so I, I, I managed to avoid surgery, but I did have to rehab it. Uh, but in that time, since my ankle was so weak, I had cuboidal bones that had dislocated. And those had to be massaged back into place. <laughs> I have no idea what those are, but that doesn't sound pleasant. Yeah, yeah. so that was pretty metal. And um, so then a few years ago, I was helping out uh, one of our other pastors here, Keith, who was the pastor that went with us to the Dream Center. I was helping out uh, with a lock-in, at a, a youth lock-in at a trampoline park. And 20 minutes before we were supposed to leave, my next-to-last bounce, before I was going to go get my stuff together, I put a grade 3 sprain on it. And I ended up in a boot and on all manner of <laughs> addictive painkillers that thankfully only made me itch a little bit. Still terrifying, though. Um, but, yeah, all I could say was, give me a minute. Otherwise, it hurts so bad, I would have set the youth event record, <laughs> world record, for most consecutive profanities. <laughs> I figured that wouldn't look looked very good in front of a bunch of 15-year-olds. So that said, my, my, my knees, I also sprained um, my MCL in February coaching baseball. I was showing a pitcher what he was doing wrong. And then I didn't feel anything then. And the next morning, I was like, I can barely walk. So I get it checked out by a guy here at Res, uh, Jonathan, who does physical therapy and all that kind of stuff. And and he found the spot that I had sprained and was poking it. And he's like, yeah, that's it right there. And I, I wanted to punch him in the face. And and that knee got better for a little bit. And then I reaggravated it a couple weeks before the trip. So when you do so much walking, sure. it's going to hurt. So that developed into a limp. That limp caused all manner of cramping and pain in my right calf. (laughs) (laughs) And on top of that, I had all kind of cramping in the arch of my left foot. So it got to a point where I didn't take a step for three days where something didn't hurt. It was, it was awful. You must've looked real funny uh, doing it though. Absolutely. Like I had, I had a couple of people remarks like, what are you doing with your foot? (laughs) It's just raw swagger, dude. Yeah, right. That's that's exactly what it was. And I mean, it was it got pretty unbearable. So, Friday night before we went out to Skid Row, our pastor Keith uh says, "All right, everybody spread out. You're going to pray and then we'll get back together and pray before we go back out onto Skid Row at its most dangerous." So, I'm sitting there like, "Hey God, this whole thing with my legs sucks right now." <laughs> <laughs> like it was it was just really frustrating and then eventually Keith uh and I, I wish Bradley was here right now because he would he would confirm with his own comments like Keith is super blunt and he if he feels like God is leading him to do something he does not care he is going to do it and he'll say something about punching someone in the face he works that into all of his sermons <laughs> something about something being punched in the face so he comes around and starts praying for everybody, and he prays that God would take the pain in my legs away. And I was like, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> like, that would be super cool if that happened. And then we, we gather up and we pray over going to Skid Row in general, and, and another guy in our group, Jonathan, who has an incredible story of his own. We might need to get him on the podcast sometime. Uh, he starts praying. He says, God, give him new legs. So I'm like, okay, so like everybody's praying for my legs right now. This is kind of cool. And uh, 
He did not answer Jonathan's uh, prayer because my tattoos on my legs are still here. They're not brand new. <laughs> uh, but by the time we got down to like Keith's Keith's words were let his the pain in his legs go away by the time his feet hit the pavement. And by the time my feet hit the pavement, all I had was a little bit of residual tightness. It mm. kind of felt like I had worked out my right calf a little bit. And I was just like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on here? I'm not used to, like, I, I my imbalance leans more toward being in the ivory tower with my books written by dead guys, by... Uh, by nerding out over what does that Greek word mean, or... Uh, what what uh, event in church history led up to these things and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, this kind of trip helps balance me out a little bit. And uh, so I'm really not used to anything like that just because I'm such, you know, I just a nerd at heart. Sure. Um, so, so that was cool to see God show up like that and be like, hey, I got you. <laughs> I will sure. take care of you. And I was like, I get it now. <laughs> I mean, that's... And, and, and he, and even since then, like my my knee has had a little bit of stiffness here and there. Like it's good. We're good now. Like I can go run around right now and it not be a problem. So that was cool. That's awesome. I, you know, I think that's that's something that that guys like us sometimes take for granted when we're so obsessed with the study of God. Yeah. That we often forget to be obsessed with God. Yes. And that's absolutely right. And to be cognizant and aware of of his actions today. Rather than uh other people just telling us and and uh uh you know chatting about his actions today but experiencing them. Right. And, uh, right. And and I'll own, you know, I'll claim reformed dumb and I'll also claim a I guess you could call it a soft continuationism. Sure. Like, I, I, you know, the faith healing and name it, claim it. Like, that's all nonsense. That gives a, I think it gives a bad name to continuationists. Definitely. Um, but, you know, kind of along the lines of maybe a Sam Storms, something like that, um, where it's, you know, just because I say to someone, be healed, doesn't mean it's going to happen. But somebody prayed in faith, and God said, all right, I got you. And he said, "Now give me the glory for it." <laughs> exactly. And here's here's the here's the real money question: Did he do it because we prayed, or did he do it for his glory according to his will? Exactly. Yeah. See, exactly. that's the thing. We know by scripture that not all things are going to be good. Far from it. But in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Right. So, and on top of that, He's ordained all things that have come to pass for sure for His glory. Exactly. And so, in in this in this situation, your injury allowed the actions of your brothers and sisters who you were with to draw an emotional connection with you. Yep. And for you to see the practical pragmatic action of god because he because yes. he was going to do it anyways he was going to yeah, do it anyways. and i was i was i was prepared to just deal with this the whole way home for sure you know and even probably still dealing with it now trying to rehab it and all that Definitely. kind of stuff i was i was under no pretense like oh yeah like that's totally going to happen is just god in his grace mm-hmm. decided to take care of one of his kids for sure 
So let's get into, Bradley already gave us his, his recommended reading for this week because he had, as we said, he had to take off for some pastoral duties. Um, so I guess, John, insert that here. Okay, so this week I'm going to recommend a book by Scott Sauls, uh, From Weakness to Strength, Eight Vulnerabilities That Can Bring Out the Best in Your Leadership. Um, I, I picked this book up because it was endorsed by Matt Chandler, um, and I just think it's an interesting, challenging, thought-provoking book um, for leaders, uh, worship leaders, pastors, lay leaders in the church um, with how to think about our weaknesses because I th- one of the things the book talks about is that there's a temptation in ministry to um, th- think of yourself as a victim uh, rather than a, a, a person just like everybody else that I lead in the church or in whatever capacity of ministry you lead in as a person in need of grace myself. Um, and that the weaknesses I battle um, are actually opportunities for me to lean in and to depend on the strength of God uh, and grow and be even more effective as as a leader. So uh, I just it was a good book um, in terms of just um, the humility that I think we we have to. I mean, the Bible talks about putting on humility. Uh, this book helped me do that. Um, and, and so I just would recommend that, uh, particularly for leaders in the church. Well, speaking of pastoral duties, uh, that is actually a great segue into my recommended reading for the week. Uh, the, it is a large book, so it, it will take you some time, uh, written by Alexander Strouch, a book called Biblical Eldership, subtext being an urgent call to restore biblical church leadership. Uh, Being uh, kind of in the thick of at least formal church leadership uh, last weekend, uh, this book is constantly on my mind. Uh, In many circles, uh, the office of pastor is viewed as office of CEO, office of president, office of, uh, you know, accountant, and and many other things like that. Uh, But at the same time, there are certain uh, certain things that culture reserves for pastors. Uh, this book tells us to look a bit closer at that and look a bit closer at Scripture and what it says elders are, what the work of the church is, and how God leverages a multitude of his people uh, to to accomplish his will to that end. Very cool. So my recommended reading kind of in line with how we kind of see... Uh, we often see these mission trips as kind of this big event Mm -hmm. as opposed to, Hey, we're going to go serve some people in the name of Jesus. Um, so playing off of the event mentality of it is I'm going to recommend reading ordinary by Michael Horton. Okay. Um, fantastic book, kind of a response to David Platt's radical where it gets imbalanced. Uh, radical is, I believe radical is a pretty good book. Um, has a lot of good stuff to say, but, uh, in today's American evangelical culture, we often want to chase the next big thing. Sure. What's the, what's the big church marketing, church growth scheme? Yep. What's the what's the trend we have to keep up with? What what LED panels do we need to get? There's nothing <laughs> wrong with those things. No. At all. 
Um, but it's, it's recognizing God did not call us to make an impact on the world. He called us to make disciples. And sometimes disciple-making involves, hey, go change a diaper or take the trash out the first time your wife or your parents or whoever asks you to. Um, and just being faithful in those ordinary things lead up to large, impactful things that we often want to we often want to put on some huge festival and get the entire city saved as opposed to saying, hey, guy at Walmart, which is totally out of my comfort zone. Maybe it needs to happen. But instead of saying, hey, like, guy at like Walmart, Walmart's out of your comfort zone or the guy at Walmart's out of your comfort zone, both. I'm with you there. I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it, it pretty much is a godforsaken place. God pretty much <laughs> looks at that place. God looks at Walmart and says, no, you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Down boy. Down boy. Yeah. I, I, I jest, of course. I jest. <laughs> Please, no emails calling me blasphemous or heretic or anything. But yeah, I mean, Ordinary by Michael Horton. Great book. Go pick it up. And Fantastic. Get yourself grounded. Right on. So, uh, our outro song this week, by the way, we have at WestminsterEffects.com a little form you can fill out. John has done it because he owns, like, all of my pedals, um, except a couple that you should probably get your hands on. Um, Like the one I sent back to you? Did you send that back to me yet? Don't worry about it. All right, man. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, But if you are making music and recording and performing, you can be a Noseminster artist. Go fill out the form, get a discount, and get your stuff featured on this podcast. So this week, I'm actually, since I picked on John for the last one, I'll pick on myself. Ooh, here we uh, go. This week, um, my band used to be called Igniting the Sky. I guess this is the announcement for the public. We're changing our name to The Marrow because it's pretty much not Igniting the Sky anymore. Uh, We are working on a two-part EP uh, each five songs, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, <laughs> you'll appreciate this being Lutheran, um, but it's super nerdy. We are telling the story of Martin Luther starting the Protestant Reformation in science fiction format. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So all of all of our song titles are uh, based off of conspiracy theories or movies or video games or books so here's a a track off that coming upcoming ep it's called the zeta reticuli incident thanks a lot guys take it easy guys